along in the midnight sea Oh, what's becoming of me? Ride the tiger You can see his stripes but you know he's clean Oh, don't you know what I mean? Gotta get away Holy diver Thanks for doing this again. Obviously, we had I had some technical <clears throat> falters here the last time, but to be honest, I just was making an excuse to talk to you again. That's fine. I'm always you never need a reason. Just to kind of go back for those who who don't know us or don't like you and I have had this like connection for years that goes back for a while, and it's so interesting because I feel like in our like in our field and like what we do for passion, you know, being music writers and people like, you know, on the scene or whatever, or on various scenes, I should say that um, it, it seems like that over time it's become less and less competitive because I feel like sometime around like 2009, 2010, when I really first started launching uh, my site, there were so many fucking sites that like, you know, everybody was just trying to eat the other. It was like Pac-Man, you know, but then like, I feel like, you know, I watched so many of them fall. Some stayed, some changed hands or whatever, but it almost seems like it's become our own little worlds that we don't always connect with each other. Like we don't, I mean, and what, what I mean by connect is that we don't really like, we're not competitive, but we're like sharing each other's links. We're talking this. Like, what do you think changed over time that it became that? I think it is still very competitive. We're just not seeing those people because those people are not necessarily our people. I think YouTube and podcasts is an arena where everyone is very aggressive and competitive. I also think the, the mechanism of media in addition to the record industry and the publicity industry have all kind of changed their relationship with each other. Um, I do have a fraternity of, uh, let's say, site owners and uh, blog publishers and podcasters and vloggers, and we all seem to be cool with each other. I don't feel it is competitive at a certain level. Like I, I if I can get a story, if I discover a story, if a story gets reported to me privately, if there's a way I can get ahead of a loudwire and blabbermouth, that helps me exponentially because I'm trying to do the news cycle, which is a mistake. Don't do it if you haven't, not because I don't want one more person doing it. It's a pain in the ass. Don't do it. But because I'm doing it and we have been doing it so hard so long, I can't not do it now. People are accustomed to it. It's what people like about us. It's, I was just looking at our numbers where when people search when they're finding us and it's mostly for news and, and reviews still, even though people think the review is dead. I think the review is not dead. I think a lot of people want, they go to review sites to see validation of their opinion as much as else, or let me see if my opinion matches this once I listen to it. So they do go read reviews. I think the idea, I know a couple of people have been like, reviews are dead. And I don't know why anyone would even write them. Um, Cause people want their opinion out there. They want to express themselves. They want to share their somehow more cultured opinion than yours. That's not. And again, we, have a mostly staff of professional writers who have written for other places too. And our editors have been magazine editors and written for magazines and things like that before the internet era, even so, or the main, let's like say the main web era, web point two, web 2.0, web 3.0. But I do think it is competitive. I think there's some com competition and I have seen Publicists, I'll throw this out here also, I think I have seen publicists where they're really leaning into influencers, yes. my air quotes for those who are listening and not watching. <laughs> I think there are, um, you know, like reaction channels. We try to do some reaction videos. They don't do well uh, for whatever it is. I don't have that secret sauce that makes them pop. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, There are reaction channels with millions of followers, and that's attention. A publicist's job and a record label's job is to get attention for their artist. So I understand and appreciate that. But that to me, those guys, those folks 
are not journalists. They are entertainers first because that's how they got that is entertainment first and authority second, to be honest. But I have seen recent press releases from major, at least metal and rock record labels, main, main, you know, major labels and major metal, we'll say, right? That little sphere of major metal labels where their press release will only quote these, in, you know, these influencer types, which is fine. But like those folks, this is a fad for them. This is not a, I don't know that this is sustainable forever. There's like 25 bloggers who look like they have forever blogs. And then there's millions who just popped up yesterday. And that's fine. I, there's room for everybody. It's like, and metal is like AA. We'll let you in whenever you come in. Mm -hmm. You can join at any time. We'll take you in any condition. That's fine. But I just feel like, you know, I don't want to also be regulated to the kids table after I've been doing this for 15 years. Right. 11. This is year 11 for Ghost Cult. And I've been here for 10 and a half of the 11. And I've been right. doing this plus about the same amount of time as my marketing career. So like, you know, parallel to my marketing career, just in general, let alone any uh, anything else I did with that in the music business. So it's just weird to me. I don't feel uber competitive, except occasionally for a story or a lot of times I will actually break a piece of news and no one credits me. They just copy my whole story from my website, which is bad for everybody. Don't steal. Don't plagiarize. I'm not talking about press releases. I'm talking about like I discovered a piece of news and I reported it before anyone. And then everyone else writes the story themselves from my story and does not say so seen first at Ghost Cult. Thanks to right, Ghost Cult. Right. Like a little bit of a little bit of dap goes a long way in terms of camaraderie and respect. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was a long answer for that, but go no, ahead. No, it totally it it totally makes sense because when because uh, as you were talking, one of the things that I was remembering was that I I felt like that my my ultimate happiness with being a music writer and whatnot and a blogger or whatever and, and now even like a podcaster is that like my happiness began when I stopped worrying about what everyone else was doing because kind of like what you said, like what, you know, you know, with, with news, you know, news is a hard thing to do. Like I, and I think like with any other blog and I'm sure ghost cult was the same way. Actually, I know ghost cult was, was that you try a little bit of every, especially when you're starting out, like you're kind of looking at like the trends, not what's trendy, but the trends. Like what are other blogs doing? What are other sites doing? And I think it's hilarious what you said, because the irony is, is that the reviews, album reviews, concert reviews and interviews. Well, that is well now what your podcast interviews, because people seem to kind of dig that more. But like those are the three things that. I've noticed that people come to my site for the most. And then after I put my book out um, a few years ago, like I started putting essays. This is Ozzy Posbourne, by the way. Uh, stop it and just say, hey. <laughs> but, you know, and then after I put my book out, I, start, and I, I was like, you know what? Like, why don't I do, why don't I like channel this kind of Lester Bangs thing and do like my blog just would become a hub for essays and stuff. And those were the things because they're like opinion pieces, editorials, you know, and those were the ones that I thought was interesting because the ones where like I'm kind of positive and talking about, you know, like no one comes at me. But man, the minute you say something that someone doesn't like, boy, those comments fill up quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you're an upper echelon interviewer in the first place and uh -huh. you're and you have a now a published author and um you and you also make music. So like you actually walk in worlds a lot of people don't do. And so give yourself some credit there. You have set yourself apart from most of the pack. And I think interviews take take a lot a long time to get a rhythm and get good and you really can't predict from interview to interview how they're going to go or what you can have your own plan of what you're going to do. I know people that watch everyone else's interview with an artist before they talk to that artist because they don't want to repeat steps. I on purpose do the opposite. I don't watch anyone else's thing. And I hope that they haven't been asked the same thing I'm going to ask. There's some general questions you always ask that are going to be repetitive. And if you start to get an answer that feels like, well, I already said this to three other people, but I'll tell you also, that's fine. Can't control that. Then I know to take it 
with the other set of questions in a further out direction. But um, in terms of the writing, right, you just nailed it on the head. There's opinions, there's editorializing, there's and there's just the dry news. Now, publicists and record labels want you to get their news out. And I have said this before to you and others, I get about a thousand emails a day and I can't, and I have a full-time job. So if I don't stay on top of my inbox, it goes wild. And I honestly can't answer everybody. And I try, I have tried to, and there have been times when I worked less and worked more on Ghost Cult, when I could answer a lot of them and cover a lot of things. Um, I think my opinion has changed about the importance of trying to cover every single, you just can't cover every single base. And I have somebody helping me with news finally, uh, who's working out really well, but just, it's, it's tough. It's a real tough game. It's tough. It's very competitive. And what's funny is, you know, again, publicists don't want you to write your own thing. They don't want your, they, they spend a lot of time writing these press releases or some time committing to writing press releases. Someone on their team or their label is the press release person. They want you to cut and paste the press release like Blabbermouth and Loudwire and just run it and not add anything else to it. Now, what like in terms of what's good for Google is for you to make yours a little different, the photo different, the the paragraph a little, the first paragraph a little different. So when Google picks you up, you're never going to be above Blabbermouth or Metal Injection or Metal Sucks or Loudwire, but you could be next. And so we're trying to be next, but that's really hard. That's a very competitive space. Um and there's a few exceptions. Decibel still sells a lot of magazines, so they don't seem to care too much about having every single story on their website. In fact, they don't. Um, they're very selective about what they do publish. Uh, reviews, very selective. And actually, I've told this to many people. I, I'm Decibel, I think the world of Albert, and I still love the magazine. Buying a full-page ad doesn't even get, guarantee you a review, which is how it should be. But people feel offended by that somehow, they've told me. And I'm like, no, you don't want to be paying. You don't want to pay for a review. That's insane. It's not going to be respectable. Number one, it's not going to be respected. It shouldn't be respected. If you're, ta if you're taking money for reviews and you're hearing this and you think I'm a dick, I'm sorry. But you, you just can't charge for reviews. You can get paid by someone else to objectively write a review that you have no ties to. Uh, it's just like I won't review albums by friends of mine mostly because it's like, A, I don't want to offend them if I don't like it. And B, I know the person personally. And even if you feel like you know an artist you've interviewed a lot of times and like if I go, listen, I've interviewed Max Cavalera like six times for different bands. I I don't say we're friends, but like if I see Gloria, she says hi to me and gives me a hug. If I see Max to talk, he's always excited and knows our brand. So I could write a review of the new Cavalera stuff, but it's better if someone else does because I already have that rapport with him. I'm already inborn a fan which is how we all started in the first place but yeah i love the uh almost famous reference also and uh big fan even though lester bangs thought metalheads and metal music was dumb and not elevated as as much as uh other type, types of rock music or jazz banal and insipid is what he called it <laughs> that's what he called it but at the same time he did a lot for metal when he finally wrote a good black sabbath review it helped them so he was, and he had it right in terms of, you know, maybe his taste was different and he was partying like, you know, forget about Gonzo. He was partying harder than Gonzo before Gonzo. Oh, so like he was a white, you know, if you're going to move to Detroit because you think that's the rock capital of the country, that's some balls. That's really saying something to move from a major city. And then he lived in New York right at the end of his life, yeah. which is of course he wanted to be where New York was when punk was happening because he was like, he was punk before punk. He was such an inspiration to me as a writer. When I first got started doing it, like around, uh, I guess around 2007, 2006 or whatever. Like at that point, I was just writing. I was writing and I had like a WordPress.com site and I would just put it up, you know, but like I would read his stories and read his reviews. And like, I, like I would just love the fact that he was like unapologetic but yet he still had this respect by even by people who he talked shit about because it always goes beyond just being a shock writer or like, I'm going to say this to stir the pot. If you say you don't like it, like say why you don't like it and then put that out there and let someone else come back and go, okay, well, at least you're not just saying this, you know, like you're actually saying this, but, and you've, you've listed out A, B, C, D. 
one of the reasons why I even started the blog was that I had read a review of a Guns N' Roses DVD. And it was like, you know, like they're back. It's amazing. You know, it's Axel's Freak Show. Da, 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 da. And I was like, ah, oh, well, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not a huge Guns N' Roses fan, but, you know, they sold this. It should be. So I went, I, I actually bought it off eBay, watched it, and it was the most goddamn horrible thing. I mean, like it made Motley Crue sound like fucking Dream Theater. I mean, it was terrible. Well, I was like, I bought this this CD based on your review and it sucks. And he was like, well, if you don't like it, start your own fucking blog. And I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> right. So as the person in the world that actually thinks retrospectively Chinese democracy is actually really good, uh, don't spit out your drink. And um, I actually think it's a good re- It's not a $13 million record but it's a good record. Is it a good Guns N' Roses record? That's a different story. But is it a good record? Like what he meant to accomplish, he did. And um, when you hear those songs live at a Guns N' Roses concert, they go, they work. Yeah, It still works. And actually Slash and Duff love playing those songs, which is funny to me that yeah. they do. Because, you know, a lot of bands like Dave Lombardo came back into Slayer and didn't want to play any Paul Bostaff Slayer. <laughs> he yeah. was insulted by the notion that he should play Stain of Mind. Yeah. Yeah. God hates us all. He really hated it. I remember that. Yes. Um, I think here's the thing. Publicists and labels don't want to hear your opinion about a record. That's a two. And they only want mostly a positive middle end to positive reviews because that's what they can sell and say, look, we took credit for this. So that being said, most records are really like Ghost Cult. We pride ourselves on being probably some of the hardest grading why why grades at all? A lot of people are getting rid of grades. Why still have grades? Because I think if you don't assign a grade, you really don't have a sense of what this record, where this is. If you, you give it a scale, then a record has to fit into a scale. So we made the decision to still stay with grades, even though it's going out of fashion. I You can read a review that reads like a nine. And then if you ask that person, they might not like the record. So a, a grade really cements what it's supposed to be. Now, that being said, I have also received records back from our staff that are like not no faults or flaws. They just talk very generally about the record. And then they're like, this is an eight or this is a five. And I will say like, well, I don't really have a sense then. If you write a glowing review and give it a low grade, I'm I'm tempted to raise that grade. And if you bash something a lot and then still give it a high grade, I don't. And I don't know why. I need you to talk a little bit more about why. But we have a more sophisticated writing staff and we still do grades and we we are very tough. So I tell a lot of people, we give out a lot of sixes and sevens, but our seven is like someone else's eight. And someone else's eight is probably someone else's 10. And if you right. love a band, even if you don't love a record, a lot of people love bands more than their output. So, you know, there are definitely a lot of bands out there who like a, the writer loves the band and can't see the flaws uh i am assigned to write a review this week of one of my favorite bands is normally something i push off and don't do myself but i'm the person elected to do it this week yeah. uh, they are from atlanta they're one of my favorite bands of all time seven dust as you i love seven dust i've heard i did one pass listen through i am very fond of the band i've spent time with them both as a fan and also personally and also professionally i've interviewed them multiple times and I'm going to take myself out of my fandom and try to write an objective review of this new record. Now, I thought their last record was very underrated in terms of what people thought of it. And I was like, man, this is really well, like, you know, should have been like a huge, I don't know. I still have like wonder why they never got bigger, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I just think, um, yeah, it's tough out there. Music criticism is not really well understood because everybody has a voice now because of these platforms. We all have a voice. But that's not always good. What are you doing with that voice? Like, what is the purpose? And again, a lot of people want the endorphins and the like, I'm I did this for the followers. I'm doing this for the attention. I need the adrenaline rush and the endorphins of the attention. But is that the purpose of the writing? Is that the purpose of your review? Here's our five minute review of the new seven dust. Is it going to be any good? Or are you just making a video aimed at more followers and followers of seven dust to become your followers? Even though you may not write anything else a Seven Dust fan is going to like or do a video or a vlog of something. So it's it's a real sticky wicket um, for a lot of a good vernacular on a Sunday here. But, um, 
you know, we're still trying to do the do this thing the way we did it when we were a magazine. It's the same fundamental, like the reviews do matter. People are reading them. The publicist and the label may not always like it. I think anything that's too horrible, we just did it. We just bin it. That's also the thing about solo, you know, solo creators and solo bloggers and solo journalists. This is your vision. This is your, yeah. your blog is your taste. So if I'm following you or I'm following JJ from the obelisk, I know what I'm getting. I'm getting within a few genres of exactly what they like. That may be the same taste as me. So I really respect that person. That person doesn't need to put a grade on everything because I already know probably they're like, they like what they're writing about, but that's not the same when you're doing 600, we're going to do 600 reviews this year. We did 400 or something last year. It was insane. No one is writing this much stuff, not even magazines. I think you do a couple a month. That's what I've seen. And like, and and obviously there are certain groups that really pique your interest and you're curious about it. Once in a while you discover a new one and share it. That's awesome. But like, again, it's your enterprise. Your name is on it. Right. We have right. a bunch of names on it. You know, we have a whole block of names of people and they, we're allowing them to represent our whole brand because we trust them a and B at the end of the day, there's an editorial layer between myself and my reviews editor, Steve, mm-hmm. senior editor, Steve Toby. And he manages the reviews team way better than I did when I had that job. And um, I hope he stays forever because I don't want it back. <laughs> but uh, I really don't. But, you know, like there's a layer where we see everything. And sometimes we'll have a conversation like, did you listen to this? What do you think about this? Actually, he pinged me. I have to answer him. He was like, can you take a listen to this week's records? I haven't got to my whole listening yet for a month from now. Let me make sure we're not missing anything. Because sometimes we, there's two different things. There's like the news reporting, here's the records coming out. And then there's like, oh, we're reviewing these other things too that we have piqued our interest as a staff. So, you know, it's tough. I think think when, if people are out there doing criticism, you should really like read a book on criticism and understand the mindset of what are you trying to accomplish? I approach every single review that I write like the person doesn't know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. even if it's Metallica. I don't assume, I don't just start writing assuming you even read the title. I just assume right. you need an education on whatever I'm talking about. Now, maybe that makes it too wordy and you can skip past that. But a lot of times I'll give some backstory or I'll give a story related to the story. You know, obviously right. we're writing a review today about Motley Crue. We don't have to talk like we could... The best thing to say about Motley Crue is the last is the first thirty years or twenty years or ten years, not the last fifteen. That are right. a disaster. <laughs> and like I tell people, like, listen, if you never saw Motley Crue, go see him anyway. Even though you're throwing your money in the garbage, like, go see it anyway <laughs> because you want to sing "Home Sweet Home" with ten thousand people. Now, you're not going to hear Vince, and he's horrible. You're not going to hear him anyway. He was never a good singer. Not one day in his life was he a competent metal and hard rock singer he was just good enough he was good looking enough he was could carry a tune enough and when nikki slave drived him into the ground on the occasion that nikki was sober and clean and off the junk he, you could get a performance out of him that was you know passable the rest of the time he's been trash and these are never good and they were never good people also so like let's throw that out i like nikki but like i appreciate that nikki worshiped his hero is Gene Simmons. And you know, Gene Simmons invented everything. And Nikki worships at the altar of Gene. <clears throat> that's my Gene. That's my Gene Simmons. I invented air and shoes. I get a penny for every time someone laces up their sneakers. Like whatever the fuck he thinks. The dude put a patent on the money bag. That's insane. It's insane. I'm surprised Monopoly didn't try to sue him for that. Like I'm sure he had a fight. But that's the thing. Like if you just act like you own the place, you do. And actually, Paul has been really the brains behind Kiss for the last whatever many years anyway, while Gene is just counting his money, literally Scrooge McDucking his way through his fortune, swimming in the coins. And uh, Paul has been really like the business brain of Kiss. And it's time for that. You know, we love Kiss. It's time for them to go also. And uh, I saw 10 minutes of Kiss last fall. I'm good. I don't need to go to those last. Like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, it would be really cool to go to Madison Square Garden in my hometown and see the last show ever. No, it won't. It's going to be terrible. I don't want to see them bow for the last time. I, they need to go. I don't want I don't need to be there anymore. I saw them. The last time I saw them when they were passable was like Chicago Open Air 2017, which the anniversary of is was this weekend. And I saw them. They played right after Rob Zombie. And it was like half the volume was turned off. 
Like literally the show from Zombie was so heavy and visceral and lively, even for he's old and has been doing it for 35 years. So if you want to count like the priests, pre-record label, white zombie, like Caroline Records, white zombie, noise, the cramps style, Rob, white zombie. He's been doing it a long time and he had like a very vibrant, exciting show. And then Kiss came on and it was like, oh, these are the guys that guy copied. And they're half the power of him. Like literally like somebody turned the PA off, like almost just up there. And it wasn't a technical problem. But like I saw Kiss for 10 minutes last year, 10 minutes. And I was like, I'm good. Like, I don't want to see this butcher job on these songs that I love. I just want to remember when I saw them the first few times they were amazing. Leave it there. Go to my records. Let me miss them. Let them go away for a while. Let's miss them a little. Probably not going to happen. They're never going to totally go away. Um, But yeah, man, it's like a lot of bands are not good. A lot of bands are not good. So many of the older bands or some of the bands from our youth, I should say, are kind of getting to that point, you know, and I'll be honest. Like the last time I saw Ozzy was, oh God, Sabbath on Ozfest. I think that was maybe 99, 2000, one of those two or something like that. And uh, it was like the Sabbath thing that they did. That was the last time I saw Ozzy. Now, the last time I saw a solo Ozzy was on his like retirement socks tour. That was not a very good show. And I remember thinking like, I kind of like in my mind, I wish the No More Tour Store would have been the last memory of him. It's why I can't go see him now or like or, or like with, or even if he, you know, with the whole like they're going to have to wheel me out on a wheelchair. And I'm like, no, I I can't. I can't see that. I don't want to see Ozzy. I don't want to see Kiss. Like if I thought Iron Maiden was starting to fall and not put on the quality issues, like I would stop going, you know, because nobody's last memory of their favorite bands or artists should be a sad one. I completely agree. And I've seen some of those sad ones. And I was, I saw Ozzy like six years ago and he was still decent. Like the songs were tuned down extra low. They were extra slow. He definitely wasn't running around as much. He definitely needed the teleprompter. He still fucked up the words without the teleprompter with the teleprompter. He still screwed up the lyrics, but it's like, you know what, man, it's like, I want to remember him as vibrant as possible because that's what he gave to me. And I don't want to see him in a chair and I'm glad he canceled power trip, which has been a disaster for them. I don't know why they thought like Coachella kids are going to pay a thousand dollars to go see six bands over three days. Even if they're the sixth, even if they're six of the eight biggest bands in the world, I don't know why anyone thought they would pay for this. And that's why the tickets are not sale selling the Metallica tool will sell. Absolutely. Guns will sell, absolutely. And then you now have ACDC and Judas Priest, even though ACDC hasn't done a show with Brian in six years or seven years. I just don't know. And then in terms of, yeah, the Ozzy, I know he's desperate to play again. I saw the little pantomime thing he did a year ago uh, for the Olympics, right? Like one year ago, just about. Yeah, and, the and one where he, he actually had like... Um... I, I like to call it the doll stand. He he was like, he had like something going up his back that actually kept him standing up straight. And I was like, I can't do that. I don't want to, I don't want, I know like, and then there's a the thing like I know more than anything, he loves performing. Oh, absolutely. Like he's actually more happy making records now than he ever has been in his life because they literally made it easy for him with Andrew yeah. Watt and things like that. These last couple of records that were done basically in his house. Yeah. I just have to go to my house, like to another part of my house to make a record. That's it. I don't have to go anywhere. There's no grind on me. I can do one take and go away and do one take and go away and retake it maybe. So it's like they've really like built a record place around a record studio around him and his schedule right. and his health. I don't want, you know, like what people don't appreciate is, okay, the shows is one thing, but the whole rest of touring is another. And for the idea that this guy, maybe he could do a one-off. If he got well enough, healthy enough to stand up there for an hour and do one hour with Black Sabbath or one hour solo Ozzy with a good band behind him, maybe he could pull it off. But I just rather him not. I know it breaks his heart. Ozzy loves performing. He wants to see people's faces. It's going away. It's fleeting. Uh, Iomi said, like, oh, we turned down Power Trip. I just read Geezer's book. I think you did too, or you're going to. And he said, yeah, I read Geezer's book and he was like, yeah, we're not coming back. I'm retired. 
I'm never coming out of retirement. I gave one last chance to a band to do Deadland Ritual. It fell apart. The guys hate each other. There's no coming back. We made a whole album. No one's ever going to hear it. I'm done. I don't need to do these things. Maybe we'll pop up for a thing here or there in appearance. But what do I need to prove? I'm Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. I did everything already. I'm Geezer Butler, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. He should be. And he should be like that. And actually, his book, you're going to find out. I think his book is the best of the Ozzy or Iomi or Bill books. Because he's like, he's definitely the hero in his story. You'll find out. I don't want to spoil it for you. But like, he definitely, um, his book is the, like, the least rose-colored glasses. He's very judgy about other people's behavior beside him and a little bit about him, but, you know, he Which is to... what you want to hear. People like us who, uh, I mean, like, again, and it, the, you may say it, say it feel the same way, like being a writer, is that, like, I'm always fascinated. Like, I want to read people's books, like, right? Like, I just finished reading Chuck Klosterman uh, for, and uh, I had read Fargo Rock City before that for the third time. And I, I, I run straight to people's books because I want to see a how they write, b what they have to say, you know, like, like Bruce Dickinson's book. People were like furious about because they were like, "Where's the dirt? Where's the laundry?" And I'm like, "Dude, it's a, it's called a memoir. It's not like an, it's not a full on like music autobiography. It's, it's not the history of. of his life." And I was more fascinated by it. And I actually liked it even more because people hated it so much, you know? And I was just like, look, you want to know him? That was him. Like, I learned so much about Bruce as a person from that book that I was like, that's what I want to know. Like, I don't want to know what pisses Steve Harris off because Steve will probably write that in his book. Steve's book will come out and will be the book that people want, the definitive Iron Maiden. This sucks. That sucks. I love this. I hate that. Um disappointing thing i went to go see dickinson on the book tour the first time around when i still lived in new york and the spoken word thing when he did like a slideshow and a little sort of an oral history of his book in an hour here's what's in my book let me tell you some stories from my book and then he did the signing which was like you might as well have not done it because like for us to wait on a line to have him never look up and just what's your name and hand the book and never look up that was used Nothing. I'm fine with no photos. It was like pre-COVID and he was late. He was late getting there. So the signing was supposed to be before the event. It ended up being after the event. To an independent bookstore on Long Island. It's like not fair to those folks who work and have to go home still from there. Right. And but I was like, dude, if you don't care about the fans at all, you could have shown up, signed all the books and they could have just sold us all a signed book. Right. With your name. Like he didn't personalize anything. He took maybe one photo with one disabled fan good for them yeah. sorry not sorry just like why did you even bother bro why did you even bother like that's fine i didn't think i was gonna get to talk to him and hang out but like give a little more of your plan better and give a little more of your time than giving us this window you couldn't honor i felt it was shitty and um yeah i know yeah what does this button do right um he's a, he's an insane person they're still great at least they're still performing at a high level except Yannick Gears, who's pretending to play guitar, as we know. And um, I will not ever let that go. Like, are, are we all are we all seeing this, that this guy is not plugged in and he's just like doing all this wacky shit with the Stratocaster and not actually like he has one solo. He feels like he maybe he's playing and the rest of the show he's pretending and we're OK with this. Come on. I know he wrote some banger songs when the other guys were out of the band, but it's like, really, this is where we're at. This is what we're accepting. I, I'm definitely team Yannick, which is, again, why I love you, because we can always be on the opposite sides. But one of the things I did have to say, like when you were talking about uh, Yannick, is that like I can't let him go for that because like the whole behavior, because I'm like, come on, man. kind of. But now, like, if you listen to his writing that he's done with Maiden, especially since uh, Bruce came back, like the last I mean. I mean, his contributions to the last albums, you know, I mean, God, since he joined the band were just like remarkable songs. And the funny thing was, was that if you I did, I'll have to send this to you. I did a playlist on Spotify of all the songs that Yannick Gers wrote. And I am not kidding you. If you listen to that, it sounds like it could have been one of the greatest Maiden albums ever. 
Yeah, he's in the con- listen. He's in a super talented. He's a, an incredible guy. Him and Bruce have like a simpatico. Bruce prefers writing with him. I think you asked him. I just find it just kind of com- it's just kind of comedy to me. But like, uh, it, I don't hate the guy. I just think it's like we're not talking about the fact that he's. There's many people out there. Again, we were talking about Crew and Kiss a minute ago, pantomiming performances and not actually playing anything. So like, can he still play? Yes. Is he kind of like, he's like our cousin who's mentally ill, but we're not acknowledging that at Thanksgiving because we want to have a good Thanksgiving. You know, he's over there in the corner, like, and like we're carving the turkey, which is fine. I'm not, listen, like there's room for everybody at this party. I'm not denigrating anybody, but just like, yeah, bro, just, I just want to have someone acknowledge that he's up there goofing. He didn't have to play at all. Like they're still great live. I understand why the three guitar things is like, oh, they got three guitar players. Really, they have two. And a guy that's like, he's the sandwich board guy. He's flipping the sandwich board around in Los Angeles. I don't know if you have that in down south, but uh, out here we have the sandwich guy in the corner, sandwich board guy in the corner. Here's the arrow. Get the hot dog. Lizzie is over here. Get it here. So, um, right, right. So like, I love that Maiden is still doing their thing. There's still, there are some bands that are elder states people at a high level still. I would pay a lot of money to see Joan Jett play anywhere right now. She still cares and she yeah. still kicks ass. Is she 15? No, she's definitely on the other side of 60, but she's rocking her ass off like it matters to her. And that makes me want to see her again. So yeah. that's a positive thing. I think there's also there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. And there's a lot of people who are losing their shit over some of these newer artists and I don't see the musicality. I see them playing to tape. It's okay to have backing tapes. I'm not anti-backing tapes. A lot of bands have been doing it for a long time. But like, if you're all on backing tape and the actual band is not playing anything, not good. And then the same thing with the vocals and the same thing with the, you know, like, what am I, what am I here for if not to see you perform live? Then right. I could get this from my house and I don't have to leave the house. I can watch this on my phone. There's no difference than being in a, you know, so certain certain artists today, and then the publicists want me to care about them like they're maiden. No, they don't get the same respect. Not because of the age, because of the ability. They're not trying hard. It's more important for them to have this pristine, you know, um, snow globe kind of effect as opposed right. to being real musicians. Listen, Judas Priest, say what you want about Halford not being able to move and not and not being able to unmarry himself from the teleprompter but the reality is that guy can still sing i want to hear him sing actually more people should be like halford you know what danzig stop running around you're not 18 anymore right no one wants to see chubby danzig no one wants to see chubby me i used to sing puffing and puffing and yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and it takes like i want to hear his voice i'm really sincerely hoping this is like outside chance i'm going to go to this danzig tour and it, and he keeps saying this next tour is my last tour i don't want to tour anymore and I interviewed Johnny Kelly recently, who's not on that tour. They have a, ba- a different drummer, his like Danzig's backup drummer to the backup right. drummer. Yeah. And Johnny was like, yeah, you know, that guy works harder than anybody. Danzig still, he values loyalty and he works harder than anybody. But like, let the music, do the honor to the music you made and perform it the best. you. I don't care about him putting on a show. That's unimportant to me. If I went right. to see Misfits, I saw Danzig and Doyle do a Misfits show without Jerry and I'm good. Yeah. But like if I went to those Misfits Arena show, I don't need Glenn running back and forth like it's Lodi, New Jersey in 1981. I don't need it. I need I want to hear the songs. I want to hear him sing with that voice, whatever's left of it. I don't want him out of breath and like not able to do it. That's why he needs that's why he wants to quit. He's miserable. So I just saw Ugly Kid Joe a few weeks ago here in Atlanta on the on on their first tour in 27 years. And um and I'm actually buddies with the guitar player, Klaus Eichstedt. And we were talking about this when, when we had our interview and he was like, you know, he was like, he was like, uh, cause I was asking him, I was like, I was like, so, you know, I haven't seen you in 27 years, man. Like, what can I expect? And he was like, he's like, honestly, he goes, wit still sounds fantastic. He's got his vocals. He goes, we're tighter than ever. He goes, we're not partying and damaging our bodies. Like we used to, he goes, but at the same time, he was like, you're not going to see me headbanging all night because I've got neck issues and you're not going to see wit running around because he's 50 something. And he was like, but what you will see is us doing really good live performances of these songs. And he wasn't kidding. So of course, yeah. Like the physical energy 
might have been lower than, but at the same time, like that was 93. This is 2023. You know what I mean? And so it's like, okay, I was more blown away that they sounded incredible and that the song sounded untouched by time than the fact that Whit Crane wasn't stage diving and crowd surfing like he did in the in shotgunning beers on stage, you know? And I was like, I don't need to see that because I don't do that anymore. So I'm not going to expect Same. someone else who's 50 plus to do that. Same, brother. I saw Oppenheimer last night. It was like three hours long and I needed to pee the whole last hour of the show. I was like, I've never felt so old in my life than right this moment when I'm like, do I sit through the end of the movie or do I leave early to go pee? Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, age. Um, it was great, though. It's great, though. Um, I was not ready for this level of uh, Florence Pugh undressed. But anyway, um, <laughs> like Midsommar levels of nakedness. But uh yeah, I love ugly. I love Ugly Kid Joe. I actually did not get to interview them or talk to them for that record. I didn't love that whole record. I thought I was like waiting for a, a different record, I think. But like, I like that they're back doing a thing and I hope I get to see the tour. And I have seen Wit sing because I saw Kurt Kamet's like wedding band play. And Wit is one of, Wit is one of the two lead vocalists along with Mark Asageda from Death Angel. And Wit sounds incredible. He always was like the Black Sabbath covers guy everywhere he went. And uh, he uh, he made infamously told Life of Agony, like, if I'm going to join the band and replace the former singer, I ha we have to do a Black Sabbath cover live every show. Now, I don't care if we're opening, we're doing a cover. And they said, yes, he's wonderful. I talked to him for like a hot minute at the show. And he seems like he's in a really good place. I was like, why are you wearing like an Adidas tracksuit? This isn't corn. And he's like, oh, the whole band wears tracksuits. That's our thing. I was like, okay. Unless it's an actual wedding and they wear tuxedos, but it's actually like that's their stage. They come out in like wife beaters with like uh, tracksuits. That's amazing. That's the whole band. <laughs> uh, they were amazing. Like people, I think like Metallica fans were like let down by hearing these funk and R&B covers mostly with a handful of metal songs. Right. And not the other way around. Uh, but really, they actually had a horn section and they were doing oh. like Jungle Boogie. And like, Some, yeah, they were doing Rick James and they were doing Jungle Boogie, Cool in the Gang, and they were doing Earth, Wind and Fire and not at, and like a little bit of Dio and Priest and Sabbath. Right. And Zeppelin. So I think it was fun. I love it when bands do that. Like when they, I, I don't know. I mean, because as a musician myself, like my, yeah, some of the most fun I ever had was, I mean, because, you know, I mean, I've been playing folk roots rock music for 26. 28 years 29 years now and you know i played metal from 86 to 94 you know but like i want to i love to go in and hanging out with a friend and jamming on some metal tunes or whatever and getting my bass out you know and doing something different and i was joked around and said i want to find like four other guys that are over 50 and do a metal cover band and call it sciatica you know and yeah, like because that whole like expression of like you know like there's nothing more exciting than finding out some of the bands that are artists that you love the most or have such a broad palette that it even as a younger kid more so when you're we're younger than when we're older but like it's almost like it makes it okay for you to like things that aren't metal or aren't rock you know and yeah so when artists are not shy about expressing that i think that it opens up the floor for their fans to go okay well maybe there is something else out there you know if hammett's up there playing jungle boogie you know huh maybe i should give that a listen because if this is what kirk hammett listens to maybe there's something there that's new for me that was rollins for me in the 90s uh having been you know sort of late to punk and having punks around me and being told I was too metal to be a punk and actually the audition for punk bands and being told like, nah, you're not the guy because you're trying to be metal and we need like a punk guy. I don't I don't know what a punk guy is. Every punk singer is different. What are you talking about? Except for like a, like 90s punks are like all kind of started becoming like homogenous. But like 80s punks, every single band was totally different with very little stuff tying them together. But I was like, oh, so Rollins, when he went solo from black flag and started to do Rollins band and he would do interviews and he'd be talking about like, yeah, I was, I just like drink 18 cups of coffee and eat a spoon away protein and do a thousand push-ups while listening to giant steps by Coltrane. And I was like, Oh, that's my parents' music. 
my parents were big jazz heads. And uh, I grew up hearing all that stuff. My first show ever was like, that wasn't a rock show. My first like actual concert was Miles Davis. And I didn't understand. I was little and I didn't, I didn't understand what I was hearing though. And I didn't understand, like I had seen performances on TV and old gray whistle test and uh, Don Kirshner's rock, you know, all these things. And I saw kiss on TV and I was like, Oh, you're supposed to face the crowd and perform. Like I understood that already. And then here's miles like, Oh, please to the audience and yep. I talked I said two words the whole night hi everybody and that's it and then yep. just like why is he not like I don't understand what's going on now I realize like I knew what was good now I understand but I didn't understand at the time my mom couldn't have been happier she was just thrilled to be there and see him again but like you know Rollins always name checking jazz much more than punk or anything else and he oh, also yeah. loves, he's also a huge Black Sabbath guy he's like suddenly he was like oh by the way you didn't know that I always loved Black Sabbath but it wasn't cool to talk about them and Dio era Sabbath on top of that was his favorite yeah as much as he made fun of Dio which I love that he was like man on the silver milk crate jokes and stuff like that but like uh because he's this tall and he's just got chicks just crushing him his whole life oh, yeah. and then he's <laughs> got this huge bigger than life voice and persona i know wendy was a babe and she was smitten with him immediately he was very charming apparently oh yeah um and uh and yeah wendy was you know what a waitress at, at the rainbow or the Starwood, yeah. whichever yeah. one of those and uh, and then ended up on tour with him and then managed him and then managed everybody. So, like, you know, she's got she's good. But, um, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. I almost like I it's refreshing when artists don't like the music you expect them to like. It's actually yeah. like, oh, you actually have more depth than I was expecting. This is a wonderful. I swear to God, I feel like we're going to have to do like a part two and a part three of this, because I feel like I could. we've said this before. We could gab for hours on this stuff but before i sign before we go i wanted to ask you so what do you have coming up for uh for the rest of the year you still doing your weekly uh ghost ritual ghost cult ritual yeah so yeah ghostcultmag.com for everything ghost cult mag on our socials probably the still the two biggest socials is youtube and instagram at ghost cult mag on both of those we do youtube my full length video interviews end up landing there and we put little snippets of them everywhere else. We do a weekly news, rock and metal news live stream. It's now on Twitch. It's now on the things, all the things. So I do a live stream every week where I recap the news. I do some big announcements and I recap everybody on what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I'm personally about to go head on a big trip back east. I'm going to see the Metallica tour. Yeah. Um, we're sponsoring a festival in Western Mass called RPM Fest which has the headliners of Weed Eater, Moontooth, and King Parrot all the way from Australia. Oh, fantastic. And then, and I'm also going to Riot Fest personally. It's going to be my birthday weekend in September. So that's like a huge deal for me. Um, and I'm really, and that's going to just be very exciting. I'm going to just try to interview every single band I can. So that's that's the near-term stuff. But yeah, we're in year, heading into year 11 and we're still doing the thing. We're still going strong. So I'm really pumped about that. And uh, again, and people like you, peers like you, appreciating what I do. I appreciate you back so much for just mm -hmm. having a chance to chop it up. We'll, we'll you know, I'll, I'm going on the road, but the podcast gear, podcast gear is coming with. So don't worry about it. We can catch up then from the road. You make it down to Atlanta, dude. We'll have to do one from like a, a bar and grill. Oh, absolutely. Or Elmir. We're going to run into a Mastodon guy there. <laughs> <laughs> little fun fun fact here that i had to tell you before i left but um was that you were talking about uh uh seven dust that so my metal band from 1992 to 94 was called rachel's dead and we were like the worst band in atlanta and um anyway we used to play with crawlspace which was lejean and I don't know who else was in that um i think it was lay john morgan and john yeah and then what and then one of the lowry brothers was in uh i think he was in stuck mojo for a yeah while. the other the, the other lowry <laughs> Corey, not clint clint is in in seven dust but it was always entertaining it, it's so much fun for me to see how how big they got because i just remember lejean being he was such a hard worker and he was 
so kind and just so nice to like, I doubt he would even remember me if I stood in front of his face. But whenever we played, like, I think we, I think we played with him like three times or something over the course of the couple of years. And, uh, but they, he was always standing at the front of the stage watching us play, you know, throwing horns and stuff. But then he would do that for the other two bands that were on the bill too, you know? And I was like, they had they had a very good rep local when they were local. I uh I need a stuck mojo reunion, but I don't think one is happening with the original guys at all. You know, unfortunately. You know, it you know, it happened once, I think yeah. here in Atlanta, actually. It happened yeah. and it was they did a really 20th long. anniversary thing and then not again. And then it like crashed and burned real fast, you know. So well, Keefy, man, thanks for taking the time to talk, dude. Always great. And uh ghost ghost cult going into year eleven. Congratulations on that. And uh man, we ain't going nowhere, are we? I don't think so. <laughs> good to see you, pal. Good to see you too, man. We'll have a good trip and enjoy the shows, man. I will do. See you soon. Crazy. Hey, but that's how it goes. Millions of people living as foes. Maybe it's not too late to learn how to love and forget how to hate. Mental wounds not healing, life's a bitter shame. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train.